When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. We are recording on a bank holiday Friday and I'm joined by my colleagues Samuel Luckhurst and Tyra Marshall. Samuel, how are you today? Not bad, thank you Stephen. How are you? Yeah, not too bad myself. Thank you very much. And Ty, how are you? Yeah, fantastic Stephen. Got the bonting outside already. So yeah, pumped to go for the weekend. I'm sure you saw a few boos of Boris Johnson there as well as he came in. That's kind of dominated social media the last few hours. So I had a good trip with that. Exactly. I had a good chuckle of that before we came on air. Um, Samuel, we've got plenty to get our teeth stuck into, as I was just saying. We've got a lot of transfer-related business today. Um, everyone at Manchester United was beside himself this week when it was announced that Paul Pogba was leaving the club. Um, that was announced on Wednesday afternoon. That's obviously a joke. Um, can you summarise Pogba's time at United? And I think I know what you're going to say, but what is his legacy? Failure, but then it's it's been failure for United for the last certainly the last five years. His his first season was a success, but um, unfortunately for United, they've they've gone five years without winning a trophy, and very few players have have come out of that period with with any any credit. There aren't many players during that period who are fondly remembered by the club. Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I thought with with Pogba that the club dedicated the most ridiculous eulogy to him this week, which ran to well over 800 words. I think fewer words were dedicated to Juan Mata, who was there for, for eight and a half years and was certainly invested in, in playing for United. And you certainly couldn't say that about Paul Pogba. But again, this is this is the culture that still, still lingers at United. It's we're enthralled to star players uh, who, who gets the most impressions on social media. Um, and, and that was clear clear as well this week, that there's a faction online that are unhappy about Pogba leaving because they, they feel as that they can't see any wrong in him. Uh, it's, 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 not, it's nowhere near as clear-cut as that. I think if you were to have done a, a poll of season ticket holders, are, are you glad, are posing the question, are you glad Paul Pogba's gone? you probably get over 80% saying yes, um, because let, let's face it, his, his last appearance at Old Trafford was of him cupping his ear to supporters um, who were telling him to F off. His final appearance for United was crying off after 10 minutes with them 1-0 down at Anfield. Th- those were suitable epitaphs for his his time at the club. Uh, unfortunately for United, he was just not invested in playing for them. For four and a half years of his six years back there, he was offered to Manchester City in in January 2018. He he revelled in a manager's sacking at the end of that year. Um, Summer 2019, he said it was maybe time for a new challenge elsewhere. That was the summer they really should have just said, "Okay, do you know what? Let's let's end the circus here. Uh, Let's let's cut our losses. Let's proactively try and sell him. The trouble was the club had already gone too far down the road of uh, Qatar into player power. Uh, it wasn't just Pogba, Anthony Martial was another player who was emboldened. Other players to a lesser extent as well. Uh, Marcus Rashford being one, didn't like criticism from Jose Mourinho. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's management was more avuncular. 
And also with Pogba, he rejoined United on the proviso from Mina Raiola that, they, that he would try and engineer a move to Real Madrid after three years, which is exactly what Raiola attempted. He, he tried and he failed because United out, outpriced Pogba of a move. And in the end, they, they got three more years out of him, but they, they got little change uh, during that time. There were some moments of brilliance even during that that three-year period. I thought he started last season um, superbly. The, the, the performance against Leeds was probably the best by an individual in the United shirt last season. Um, when he came back from injury last season against AC, I keep is it last season or two seasons ago? But, but 2021, we're still in that grey area, aren't we? Uh, not sure whether to say last season yet, but when he came back from injury against Milan last year and he ended that season very strongly, but then Solskjaer being Solskjaer, he couldn't make a big decision for the Europa League final and rather than drop Marcus Rashford and, and keep Pogba on the left flank, he relocated Pogba to a deep-lying position in midfield and Scott McTomney outperformed him in, in Gdansk against Villarreal. Um, and, and during the restart as well, uh, he, he came on and obviously affected the game against Tottenham and played well during that running as, as United finished third. But ultimately, these these are not achievements. These are spells, patches, purple patches, where United played quite well. They had some good victories, but they, they didn't win anything. And you look at how he played, I thought, for France at the Euros last year, the, the heights he hitched, he hit, sorry, um, no other midfielder got, got close to reaching those heights during the Euros, even though France went out in the last 16. I thought Pogba was exceptional over the four games that he played. But he he absolutely wanted to play for France. He was completely invested in it. He was completely committed to them. He was not completely invested in playing for Man United or committed to Man United, uh, as I said, for the, for the last four and a half years. And uh, yeah, part of me wonders that the... the, the the standout moment, highlight of his time at the club was, of course, the two goals against City in the derby comeback. And you wonder if, if Pep Guardiola hadn't have come out with what he said the day before when he revealed to the world that Raiola had offered Pogba to City only a few months earlier, whether Pogba would have played to, to that extent, to that level, because obviously he was, he was jolted. It was almost like Guardiola did a bit of man management there for him. And he knew he had to respond, and he responded in a in a remarkable way in that second half. And that that is the one standout highlight, uh, even though he got the when he got in the Europa League final. But it's just been a very fraught, turbulent time, failings, uh, issues on both sides, of course. But ultimately, he a player of his talent and and with his reputation and, and gravitas and charisma, he he failed United more than than they failed him. Samuel's just kind of given us a nice lead into my next point then, Ty, because surely United have to take a portion of the blame here because they're letting a player leave the club that was a world record signing in 2016 for a free transfer 10 years after he last left the club for free. So that's mismanagement, isn't it, from the board? I mean, yeah, a, a little bit. Um, I mean, in that regard, they're a little bit unfortunate, really. And if they'd have known what was coming down the tracks in terms of COVID three years ago, they'd have sold him in, in 2019. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, the fee they could have got in 2020 or 2021 wasn't there because there was no market for him because continental clubs had no money, really. So I think they were unfortunate in that regard. And if they had their time again, they would obviously snap Rembrandt's hands off in, in 2019. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that doesn't look great, but, you know, you, you can kind of see that they're a little bit unfortunate there. Um, you know, the majority of these failings, as Samuel has laid out, has, has got to be to Pogba. Um, 
I think he's, you know, he's a clear example of a, a club without a strategy. He was signed without a clear strategy in mind in 2016. He's had two, three, I suppose three, if you include Ranić, different managers with different ideas and different plans for him. He's played deep midfield, probably most often of all. I don't think anyone thinks that's his best position for United. Maybe his best performance has come on the left. That's obviously not his best position. So it's felt like, you know, the, the club haven't really known how to use him. But it's an £89 million midfielder. He should be able to, you know, he should be commanding enough to say, this is my position, this is what's happening. And he's never done that. Like Samuel said, his performance comes in, in fits and spells, really. And maybe Solskjaer got the best out of him with his softly, softly approach, but wasn't really conducive to long-term success. And Solskjaer was never going to be here long-term. So I think it was... a. a it felt like a good signing at the time and he felt like a midfielder who could be transformative for United. In reality, I'm not sure that's really his his role. I'm not sure he is that kind of... I think he's like the, he's the cherry on the cake of a, a great team, really. I don't think he's someone that's going to lift players around him, which maybe Bruno Fernandes did straight away when he came in at United. I don't think Pogba's necessarily that player. I think put him into a really good functioning team like Juventus, for pre-2016, like France, and he can look world-class, put him into a team that isn't functioning, which is what he's often had at United, and he's going to look... He's not going to look world-class, and he's not going to raise performance levels around him. I also think there's... I'm still not entirely convinced he's really suited to the Premier League or has wanted to adapt to the Premier League at times. It was interesting to, you know, to see City were considering him once again, and... I mean, maybe in a Pep Guardiola team he would work because Pep wants the game slowed down at times and, and that's what Pogba does. I think it was the Tottenham game this season, maybe, the 3-2. Simon probably correct me, where he had a really poor second half and the game was basically going on at a million miles an hour and every time Pogba got on it, it slowed down to 20 miles an hour and it was like he was just trying to... He was almost playing a different game for everyone else on the pitch and that he was taking four, five, six touches... And everything else was happening really fast. And it came to Pogba and it was like it was going in slow motion again. And he was often losing the ball as, as a result. And he had a pretty poor second half. And the reason he was brilliant for France last summer, as Samuel said, but he, he gets in international football, he gets to take two, three, four touches to nudge it out of his feet, to get his head up, to look for that pass. You try and do that in a Premier League midfield and the opposition have got the ball from you. And we saw that happen an awful lot. And it feels like, that is when he's at his best, when he can take two, three, four touches, get his head up, roll the ball under his studs, pick the right pass. You just don't get that sort of time in, in the Premier League. And I think that's often found him out and he's never really fully adapted to it, especially not in a defensive midfield role or holding midfield role where he's often going to get pressed fairly aggressively. There was a it, video it was, about... Sorry, it, 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 sorry Stephen. It, it, it was that, that Spurs game. I'm, I'm going to have to dig him out here, but I remember... Uh, Laurie Whitwell, our colleague, saying a few days later, oh, I thought I thought he played all right. And then another journalist, I think David Heitner, obviously sits on us in the same row sometimes at Old Trafford, said, no, I thought he was absolutely dreadful. So I don't, we don't know what Laurie was seeing that day, but <laughs> most of us were in agreement. He was he was poor. Although I do recall saying, I think I said to you, Ty, I said, oh, Pogba's been dreadful here. And then he played a brilliant crossfield um, pass over mm. to the right-hand side. And I think they actually won the corner from that that Ronaldo then scored the winner from so something good came from his performance that day at least there was a video on social media this week and it, uh, it was Pogba at Anfield from 
the recent hammering and he just took far too many touches on the ball. Henderson came and took it. Salah scored and that was a perfect example of that, wasn't it? I think, yeah, Rangnick said, was it a few days later? I think he, it was almost, you could attribute it as criticism of Pogba because he said that he should have notified his ref, uh, his injury to the referee soon just to, um, not not even break up play, but even try and get the game the game stopped because as you there's that infamous screenshot where Maguire pushes up and the defensive line is like a zigzag and Pogba's off the pace, Matic is off the pace. But I seem to recall Rangnick exciting the fact that Pogba was injured and the build up to it has been an issue in terms of United's lack of I don't know just game management or now something like that. So obviously Pogba's departure was announced on Wednesday, Samuel, and a few hours later it was officially confirmed that Lingard was leaving the club. You've just summed up Pogba's legacy, you and Ty Leckett, nicely. Could you do the same with Lingard then, really? Because I wrote a piece that Lingard's legacy was better than Pogba's. And do you agree with that? I do, yeah. I've, I've not read that. I'll have to read that. Was that yesterday? I was I was off yesterday, so I'll have to have to give that a read, Stephen. But I would. Uh, for for the first three years that he got into the first team properly, which was from 2015 onwards, so the Van Gaal's second season, he, he was an asset for, for United. He, I mean, he, I think his first pre-season was uh, with, with Moyes in 2013, but he went out and loaned to Birmingham. And then there was there was another loan, I think, after he made his debut under Van Gaal because he, he, he got injured in that. But, um, but he'd had a few pre-seasons by the time he made his breakthrough, which again is always reassuring for someone like James Garner who obviously plays in a different position but there have been a number of examples in recent years and in the distant past Tom Cleverley springs to mind where players get that experience and that exposure to what United are all about on pre-season tours on a couple on maybe two or three of them before they actually force their way into the first team and Lingard was was on an upward curve under uh, Van Gaal obviously the, the the cup final winner was was a great moment. He improved under Mourinho. His best season was in 17-18 for United, certainly. And his his role in the England's run to the World Cup semi-final uh, gets overlooked as well. It's it's obviously that that's a summer that's fondly remembered uh, already, even though it was only only four years ago. But he was he was he was key in that team, and I still think there's a chance that he could be key for them again in Qatar, even though the the competition in attack is intense. Uh, he's he's banked a lot of credits with with Gareth Southgate, so it, it still wouldn't surprise me if he's in the World Cup squad. But I think it was after the World Cup he had a groin issue, which meant that he had a very slow start to the eighteen nineteen season. And he actually, when Solskjaer came in, he and just I think it was in Mourinho's final games he was performing quite well, and then. He had a really important role in, in Solskjaer's caretaker period up until that game against Liverpool. I think it was a goalless draw and United players were dropping like flies. I think they had to make three substitutions in the first half and Lingard was rushed back from a muscular injury he'd sustained. I think it was against PSG at the start of the month. So he wasn't quite right. And this was during, it had already started this run of him going what was it, two years without a Premier League goal? I think it was. I think it was Solskjaer's first game at Cardiff. 18 months, in fact. I think it was Solskjaer's first game at Cardiff he scored and then he didn't score again until the final day at Leicester in, in the restart era. Because There was that, wasn't there that infamous, sorry, not infamous, that story about somebody having a bet on Lingard going a whole season without scoring a Premier League goal. And then he literally scored in the last minute of the season, denying the, um, the, the, the punter substantial winnings, no doubt. But that that was a write off of a season. 
last season, I think he started twice for United before he was loaned out to West Ham and they were in the League Cup games, which were right at the start of the season, um, back-to-back weeks. So he was he was failed in the season just gone because he should have been sold in the summer when West Ham had £25 million reserved for a forward. That was pretty much Lingard's valuation with a year left on his contract. And then when he wasn't sold and he was given chances, he scored a lovely goal against Newcastle. Uh, he he obviously had the mistake in Burn, but recovered from that score brilliantly against West Ham. He teed up Ronaldo uh, for the winner against Villarreal. And you're thinking it's a matter of time until he starts. And then the next game, when, when Ronaldo is put on the bench and Pogba's on the bench, uh, somehow Anthony Martial starts ahead of, ahead of Lingard. And at that point, you thought, there's no turning back from this really um and it was it was ridiculous that there were even discussions over a new contract again a symptom of the woodward era uh just it's just as well they didn't come to pass but again they had an opportunity to let him go out on loan in january that didn't materialize so it was a last season or the season just gone absolute write-off for him as as this previous season was and even 2019-20 wasn't, I mean, that was not a good season for him whatsoever because I think there was a game, might have been the Palace one in August when when, when Palace won 2-1, uh, Lingard came off and, and there was some sar- sarcastic cheers at his removal, which is obviously a fate that's befallen a few teammates in the last six months or so. Um, I, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate for him. But o- overall, when you look at, the, the, the player he was at academy level, you didn't really have high hopes for him. And he overachieved to stay as long as he did at United and beyond that, actually achieve the success he did in scoring in a couple of finals, winning a few trophies, having a really key role for England at World Cup, their best you know, joint best World Cup since 66. So he's, he's a credit to the United Academy. And as I said, for, for three years, he, he was a good United player, but he should have been sold last year I think if Covid hadn't have come around he might have been sold in in 2020. Hindsight is a wonderful thing isn't it Ty and we could say United should have sold Lingard obviously last summer and I think if you relate that to John Matter he probably wouldn't have signed his contract extension last summer Mm -hmm. as well would he he was going to get such little game time. His time United obviously came to an end this week officially and he's leaving at the end of the month um, when his contract expires. Can you kind of run through his legacy as well? We've discussed Pogba, we've discussed Lingard because that game uh, against Brentford, the 3-0 win at Old Trafford, Matt, that was wonderful in that number 10 position, um, masterful. And he's not really been played there during his time at United. So it almost feels like a bit of a waste, doesn't it? It does a little bit. Um, I think that Brentford game suited him in that regard, in that it was essentially a pre-season friendly. Neither team had anything to play for. It was played at a slower tempo. Brentford are a good team who, who let you play. And Matt got time on the ball. Um, there's not many Premier League teams that play with a number 10 these days beyond maybe United. Um, it, it's it's an outdated role and Matter himself is almost a throwback footballer to watch him. You know, it's incredible that it's only United signed him in, in 23rd, January 2013. He was phenomenal for Chelsea the season before that, 20, what that been, 2011-12. But even now, you look, you watch him now and you look at him and you just think... He just doesn't look like a Premier League footballer now, as, as harsh as that sounds. It's not meant to sound harsh because he showed against Brentford he can be. But he is, if you were playing a 4-3-3 with two number eights, say, he's not getting in a team as a number eight because I don't think he's physical enough. I don't think he's quick enough. Um, I don't think he's getting in a wide role particularly. 
So the way most modern teams set up now, I know United have played 4-2-3-1. It's kind of a legacy from the Solskjaer days. I don't think Eric Ten Hag will play that system next year. I think it'll be 4-3-3. And pretty much every other elite club in the Premier League plays 4-3-3. And you know, I, I can't imagine that any other Premier League club has looked at Mata and thought he, he can fit a role for us because he does sort of feel quite outdated the, the game has moved on that quickly that he feels like he's from a bygone era in a way and he, you know he was phenomenal against that in that Brentford game and it shows that when he has conditions to suit he is brilliant and and maybe in Spain going back to Spain he, he'd get that those conditions the MLS I know Samuel story earlier mentioned interest in MLS that would obviously be perfect I think he'd, he could show his his true quality there he's been a great he's been a great player for United um oh, a good, a, a good to great player, maybe, maybe great overselling it, but good to great. Um, he is a great bloke. There's no doubt about that. After that Brentford game, we were me, Samuel, and, and the aforementioned Laurie were were leaving the ground in the pouring rain. At, I think it was an eight, it was an eight o'clock or eight fifteen kickoff that game, and it was it was about half eleven, eleven forty at night when we were leaving. The rain was chucking down, and Matter was still there signing every autograph, posing for every photo. And that's just the type of person he is. He's, he's phenomenal off the pitch. And it's no surprise United wanted to, to keep him around because he's the type of person that you would want around your football club, whether it's in a coaching role, ambassadorial role. He is that that type of person. And I think he'd be he'd be brilliant with young players coming through as well. I think he'd have a real role to play there. Um, but I don't I don't know if the the idea that that Brentford game showed that he should have played more often is necessarily Accurate. I mean, that's the only role he could play. Maybe he should have got more games ahead of Fernandez. He's had a pretty poor season. But like I say, I, don't, I think if you put him into a four-two-three-one against Liverpool or Manchester City, I think the game would take place around matter rather than matter dictating the game. Maybe and against Brentford, he had conditions to do that perfectly. And I don't think many Premier League games are, are played to those those conditions these days. Whereas maybe ten years ago they were, and, and that's when he was truly at his very very best. That game was perfectly suited from them, wasn't it? For his farewell at Old Trafford, his last goodbye to the fans, which was a nice so, moment. Yeah. yeah, Samuel, you've wrote the line as Ty's just touched upon today on a matter's potential off-field role that United wanted him to kind of slot into after you hung up. Well, left the club. Sorry. Um, could you give us some background on that, really, and kind of give some information? That they wanted to keep him in on a playing contract, but he would have been eased into a more administrative role. What that role would have been specifically, I'm not sure. I've not had any real clarity on that, but he's he's someone that they clearly value. I had to research this, the story from a few years ago because I was pretty certain he had been offered an ambassadorial role, which which he had been. I, think I wrote that with um, our, our old colleague Dan O'Toole at the time. Um, but obviously, he's you know, whether he comes back to the club in some capacity, remains to be seen footballers have such longer shelf lives than they did when I was certainly watching them and you'd go in your Panini sticker album and you knew that if, if someone I don't know was was 33 they didn't have much longer to go in the game but it's it's not the case these days anymore matters 34 the, the MLS has shown that players can play for, for for a very long time it just depends I suppose on on his ambition what he wants to do he's done commendable work with with common goal, uh, that's that's still thriving. Uh, I think that he, you know, he, he he really did promote that very well and used United as a very good um, as a good platform to really give that more exposure. But he is someone that you can imagine 
occupying a, an administrative role um, at, at a football club. Uh, the, the one that was mentioned to me anyway, uh, well, this is I think this is more United being speculative or suggest something was technical director, but I'm not. I'm not saying, oh, Darren Fletcher's about to be eased out and Juan Mata's about to replace him. It's nothing like that at all. But again, you could see Mata, given the articulate guy that he is and the experience he's accrued in football, not just as a footballer, but looking at the administrative side. Um, his, his father has, has been his agent all this time and, and the people he surrounds himself with in his camp. He's got a lot of good sounding boards there that are going to you know, advise him going ahead. And he's, he's done some interesting things as a player. I'm sure he'll be a pretty fascinating individual whatever life holds for him uh, beyond his football career but again sometimes these things you know people at football clubs can talk about them in an idealistic way and he may never return to United but it's it's an interesting thing to just um, you know consider I suppose uh, going ahead but I think that would be a, a long way off. I feel like we've covered the outgoings now this week Ty so if we move on to the, the incomings we've uh, discussed that quite extensively um United are obviously interested in signing a new centre-back this summer. We've saw Julian Timber from Ajax and David Como being linked in. Pau Torres, I thought it was interesting that he swapped shirts with Ronaldo last night. How important is it that they're going to sign a new centre-back uh, this summer? Is it pivotal? Is it, do you know what I mean? Really high on that priority list? I think it's high. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of priorities on that priority list. I think it's got to be up there probably as, as second, maybe, after a midfielder. Um, partly just due to the outgoings, really. We, we know... I think we all expect Phil Jones, Eric Bailly and Axel Twanzibi all to leave, really. Um, Jones deserves to go and play more football elsewhere and try and resurrect his career. Bailly have fallen behind Jones in the pecking order and should never have had that new contract and clearly doesn't want to be here. Twanzibi's had two terrible loans this year, so I don't think either any of those uh, are likely to be here next season. So you probably need a new centre-half there. There's... With those options there, it feels like there's a balance. Obviously, a couple of left-footed and left-footed centre-backs are, are pretty rare at, at the elite level and would give United some some good balance. Obviously, Maguire is generally played on the left. I think he was moved against Leicester to the right this season and I thought he had a much better game playing on the right. And Ranić talked about how it opens up his passing and things like that. And then him and Varane rarely played together again after that. So, we didn't really get to see whether it was a long-term solution. Varane looks the kind of centre-back that could play right or left. I suppose the advantage with with Timber is A, his age, and that he's only 20, he's got time to develop. Um, do United want someone that can come in and take Maguire's place? Is Maguire still going to start next season? I think there's a decent chance for that. And the other thing with Timber is that he can play right back. And with Wambasaka almost certain to leave, and United keen to, to push him out the door, it only really leaves them Dallow as a right back. So they might want to sign a right back as well, but as we said before on this podcast, ticking every box this season is going to be impossible. United have got to be creative in the transfer window and in the transfer market. And someone like Timber, who can play both positions, could be could be ideal. And he can offer cover at centre-half. He can offer cover to Dallow at right-back or even play ahead of Dallow at times. So there is there is a balance to be struck there. And having a left-foot centre-half is, is helpful, I think. Not essential, um, but it's certainly helpful. But Timber's versatility could be would probably give him the edge for me, especially in a season when, you know, United need a right back. As we said, they're not going to tick every box the way they want to tick every box this season. So if they get someone like Timber, they can have Timber and Dallow at right back this season and, and kick the can down the road to signing a top right back to, to 12 months time. And that's probably the kind of creative thinking that, that John Murta and Ten Hag are going to need, I think.
I promised to go into the uh, the arrivals there, Samuel, but I forgot to ask you about Juan Bissaka, obviously. And you've wrote a line on him today, like United would be opened offers. Obviously, we kind of knew that, um, and that he's been offered to a club. Is it an exaggeration to say a fifty million is one of the worst United signings ever? Probably not. I'm not too sure that, that those was it five million add-ons whether they've ever been triggered. I'm not too sure what would have to happen unless it's a an appearance um, an appearance fee because United haven't won anything. And uh, I mean, if, if Crystal Palace have have banked the fifty million from it, that's that's extraordinary business. I, I even thought at the time that United had done all right to actually get that lowish a fee because he was English and he had a long contract and the certainly English players at that time, their resale value was very high. And given he was 20 or 21 when he joined United and he was coming, he was playing at, he was a right back as well. And at that time his stock was high. English right backs were not, not so much in demand, but I mean, you only have to look at the list of the quality that England have there. The, it, it felt, almost fairly reflected a fair reflection of his of his worth at the time that United paid that fee but of course it's it's gone as badly as it has done and again unfortunately just the, the wrong personality the the wrong the wrong player at the wrong time and this is where it's led to um you know, that there are other things about Wambasaka that that may come out in the future as well and just in terms of how this season has gone for him but judging him on his performances, you, you can't. It's it's impossible to be anything other than unkind because I'm, I'm struggling to think the last time he actually even played played really well for United. Uh, there was a spell maybe in 2021 where he scored against he scored against Southampton in that nine nil game and was was excellent. He was so good he was taken off at half time. But then you look back at it and it's it's a behind closed doors game against ten man Southampton. And there were so many freakish results um, during during lockdown football or behind closed doors football, and that was certainly one of them. But the understanding that I I was uh, that I have is that there was there was a call to United um, from from a Spanish club. I think it was Atletico Madrid about Diogo Dallo, who has had a lot of clubs interested in him over the last year. And United said, "Look, we're not negotiating for him," which was was known already uh, because. Of Dallo's status at the moment, but we will negotiate for for Wan Bissaka. He's the one that they would offer to clubs. Uh, I can't really see Wan Bissaka playing in Spain. There is some interest in Palace. I think he would fit in back at Palace as well. Uh, the squad that Vieira is assembling there, he's he's their profile of player. He's had some issues um, uh, settling in Manchester as well, which of course can't can't be easy. But a lot of other players have have overcome those issues and that they've not they've not they're not English they, they've not lived in England before so uh, there's the sympathy there's sympathy to an extent there but that's that's what football's about if you want to be ambitious and you have to move to a bigger club you're, you're likely going to have to relocate and Wan-Bissaka hasn't particularly embraced that he's not particularly um, not, as far as settling into the the team is concerned he is still quite aloof um, I, I don't know if I'd mentioned it before, but that time that Matter said he was asked, "Oh, who would you like to spend lockdown with?" and he said, "Oh, Juan Juan Bissaka, because we would use the same house and and he wouldn't talk to me." And it was a half joke, but you knew where he was coming from um, because that's that's just Juan Bissaka's nature. He's not settled into the dressing room. He's not. He, he didn't get in with a friendship group quite quickly as as Daniel James did. 
sometimes a player can cut an isolated figure and be play like an absolute demon every week. And unfortunately for United, Wambasaka hasn't done that. And now they're looking to cut their losses on him. And it's going to be a big loss as well because, I mean, from what I was told, Dallo is valued at around 20 million euros or 25 million euros. They they would be very lucky to get twenty million pounds for Wambasaka. To me, just because of his stock, because of the contract length, because of his form, it's it's got loan fee written all over it, and that would probably be reasonable business for for the short term at least. Last question regarding transfers and I wanted to ask you about Dylan Levitt, um, who's just come back from Dundee United. Obviously, had a strong loan uh, season out there in Scotland. Um, United have obviously extended his contract for another year. Our colleague Rich Fear broke that this morning. Where does he fit in with Ten Hag's plans, if if at all? Is, he, is it another loan for Lever, or what do you think is going to happen then across the next few weeks or months? I think it's. It, I mean, it's hard at the moment to see him being involved in, in the first team picture. I think you know if we're talking of a midfielder who's coming back from loan, who's who's going to force his way in, it's going to be James Garner. Um, I think with Levitt, at the moment, it, it's probably another loan, and like we say, he did okay with with. With Dundee United, um, it was one of the. I did a piece this week actually talking about United's loans, and you know Garner's been the standout this season, but a lot of them haven't worked at all, and, and just haven't got enough football under their belts. And it feels like that's an area United need to in, improve on, whether it's just sending them to the wrong clubs. But players like Ahmad, Facundo Palestri have made no progress this season or gone backwards. I think Ted Amengi lost his place in the Birmingham team. There's quite a few examples there of loans that, that haven't worked. Too many, really. You're always going to have some, but but too many. Um, Levitt did did play a lot, did, by all accounts, reasonably well. It's a mighty jump from playing for Dundee United to, to playing for Manchester United. We've said there are vacancies in that midfield, but I think it feels probably like it's another another loan spell for him, really, and, and protecting his value, get his value up and, and see how the next 12 months go and, and where he plays. But... At the moment, I don't, I don't think he's made an inarguable case to, to be involved at United. I mean, he moved to um, Croatia, I think it was, at the back end of, of last season to try and force his way into the Wales team, which shows a, a great character and great determination. But for his club football, you know, it, I'm not sure United would have had that many eyes on him there. They're probably not learning a great deal about him in, in terms of English or British football there. So I think next season, you're probably looking at another low move at best, really. I watched him against Poland the other night. I thought he was good, but like you've kind of touched upon, maybe championship level Swansea or mm. Cardiff perhaps is the a natural fit. Samuel moving back to first. In there, Stephen, I see. Well, sorry, stereotyping oh. the Welshman. <laughs> <to> the Welshman. <laughs> I, me, I just saw a lot of a lot of tweets from Cardiff and Swansea fans, so I'll blame. They probably like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Naturally, <laughs> um, just moving back to the first team, Samuel. I wanted to talk about Ronaldo's interview today. Um, and I thought it was interesting his comments on the youngsters really, and he thought that obviously, look, they're the next generation, they need to be given a chance. What youngsters can you kind of see coming through United and what did you make about Ronaldo's comments on Ten Hag as well? Obviously, he's looking forward to working with him, isn't he? Well, it's a club video, so the player is always going to be on message there. They're not going to say anything that's remotely critical. People who remember Ronaldo's first spell at the club after the Champions League final in 2008 he was asked on the pitch you stay and he said yeah I'm staying and then of course he spent all summer trying to engineer a transfer to Real Madrid so you don't always you don't always take his his word as gospel but I think just because of the circumstances now it does seem likelier that he will stay than than he will go if I mean he has he's he's represented by the one agent who can make 
the impossible possible in, in George Mendes and the fact that United haven't qualified for the Champions League just immediately it plunges his his future into doubt. Uh, Ronaldo hasn't played in, in the Europa League at all. The last time he played in the UEFA Cup, he was 17-year-old and he was still at Sporting Lisbon. All he's ever known for the past 18 or 19 seasons uh, has, has been Champions League football and he's, of course, won it five times. But because he is tied to United for one more year, it does it does seem like that it's difficult for him to engineer another major move uh, a year on from that pretty sensational uh, re-signing for United. So, as I said, as it stands at the moment, I'd expect him to be there next season. And Ten Hag clearly sees a role for him. And, and Ronaldo, was, as you say, he's, he's spoken enthusiastically about working for Ten Hag. He said that he needs time. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody would disagree with those things. And I mean, there's even an acceptance of United's place when he talks about, you know, we we can play for cups. They are they are a cup team at best next season. I think it would be staggering if they got remotely near challenging for the Premier League title. Nobody's expecting that. I'm not sure anybody at United is expecting that as part of their their blueprint or their five point plan, whatever it might might be for the future under Ten Hag. And as far as the youngsters are concerned, the youngsters love him. They they love training with him, playing with him. You only have to see the way Garnacho uh, has been in, in Ronaldo's presence. And when Ronaldo hasn't been there either, uh, the Youth Cup final being an example, we celebrated like him. Ahead of that final, They Ronaldo sent a video message that was played in the dressing room. You know, people might have seen that he wasn't there that night. And there are other players who were there, first team players, and thought, "Well, what, what, what does he? You know, he wouldn't be there. He doesn't care." But he clearly takes uh, takes interest in it. And there are certain players there that you know you, he has pretty much taken under their wing. I think he gave Garnacho his his hat trick ball um, after the Norwich game. So yeah, Anthony Lang has spoken about even before he made his breakthrough last season, the, the times he trained with the first team, how helpful Ronaldo was, not just Ronaldo. I think Joe Hugel told us that, that Cavani was helpful as well when he could actually be bothered to be in Manchester. But with Ronaldo, yeah, it's it's difficult. If you're if you're a young player in that squad, it's, it'd be pretty difficult not to idolise someone as, as great as him. And United can easily maximise him next season. He had a good season. He, he, he was always going to be a success. I think it was always, you know, the, the, the uncertainty was whether United would be a success with Ronaldo back there. But he's got one more year. Don't play him in the Europa League. Save him for the Premier League. Don't play him in the League Cup ties before uh, the World Cup starts in November. And that's a good way of maximising him. You manage his workload and hopefully you also keep him fresh for the second half of the season because with the World Cup, he, he will hope to play, what, seven games if, if Portugal can get to the final. But I think it's eight days after the World Cup ends, uh, Boxing Day football starts and the, the Premier League season recommences. So I think there's a way for it working for all parties next season. And then you have to reassess the situation next year. And I'm already braced for the, the amount of will Ronaldo stay, will Ronaldo go stories that we're going to have to do uh, next season. You talked about Ganacho mimicking his celebration, didn't you, Old Trafford? I've heard rumours that our colleague Rich Fair did that when he scored at Old Trafford. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I, I didn't see it, but that was I, I was the first to. Um, I, I jumped into his arms. I was I was that yeah. pleased. I was like a, <laughs> I was like a proud surrogate father at him scoring, and then 
then professionally, I, I raced back to my, my position at, at right back. So I had my back turned. I can't, I could neither confirm nor deny whether he did do a sue, but I would have, I would have encouraged it because he, he as, as we said previously, he had the, uh, the, the temerity or the confidence to, to take the number seven shirt in the dressing room beforehand. You didn't let it down, did you? Fair play to Rich. Uh, just to wrap up the podcast then, Ty, I wanted to ask you about David De Gea. Um, he's had a fantastic season after some uncertainty around his future in the summer. He bounced back to really reclaim that number one spot. He's obviously been voted uh, the Players Player of the Year um, today. What have you made of his season, really? And obviously, I guess he's almost guaranteed to be number one, isn't he, under Ten Hag? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I still think there's a question mark there long term over his suitability for the Ten Hag system, but I think there's far bigger issues this summer to confront before even considering replacing the Players Player of the Year. So, yeah, I think he's certain to be number one. He's had a very good season. He's made some brilliant saves. It's the kind of season, I think, that is is perfect for him in a way because we know he's a brilliant shot stopper. And that's what he's had a hell of a lot of shots to save. And I, I think it was between him and Leeds' overworked goalkeeper, Islam Melier, who made the most saves this season. I'm not sure who came out on top in the end, but they were both overworked and very busy. And, and De Gea is a brilliant shot stopper. Um, there's, like I said, there's still question marks about his distribution, about his ability to play a high line. Um, his one-on-ones, I think, aren't great. Um, I think he continued a lot of one-on-ones this season, and that's probably something that's not a, not a strength of his. And if United play a high line, there's obviously a good chance he'll face a lot of one-on-ones. So I do think there's still going to be questions to answer, which is probably harsh after the season he's had, but I think it's just inevitable, really. But yeah, it was always going to be between him and Ronaldo. I'm a little bit surprised that he has won it ahead of Ronaldo, to be honest. Um, I thought it would be Ronaldo, especially the way he finished the season. But I think it's, it's probably just about right. He, It's incredible that United finished sixth, had the worst worst defensive season for years, worst Premier League season ever. And the goalkeepers, the players, player of the season. I mean, it shows, shows how astronomically bad things have been. It's beyond belief, really. Um but yeah, I think he, he's deserved it for the saves he's made and, and the countless times he, he kept United in games. I'd say he deserves it really uh, over Ronaldo because you look back and you think Ronaldo had that kind of barren spell, didn't he? Um, mm. Was it through December? And it was his longest yeah, kind yeah. of goal drought for over a decade, I think. Is that? I think we'll just leave it there then, gents. Thanks for your time, Samuel. Thank you very much, Stephen. And thank you, Tyrone. Cheers. Thanks, Stephen. And thanks to listeners. Have a great weekend. Take care.